Good morning. Hey, thank you guys so much for joining us for our last week of our series uh, called Let's Get It On. Uh, the first couple weeks, uh, some of the good part of it is we got to talk about how God has given sex as a gift and how it's a blessing. Uh, but today's going to be a little bit heavier because um, just like God has used sex as a gift, Satan has used sex to bring a lot of pain and hurt uh, to different people. Uh, you know, we, <clears throat> unfortunately, there is, there is sometimes are sins that other people do that aren't necessarily our faults, but it still hurts us. There's still a lot of pain with that. Um, for some of you in here, um, you, know, you have been sinned against sexually. And I, I want you to first know that that pain uh, is not your fault. But I want, to know, I want you to know that we, can, um, we want this church to be a place where we can talk about things that are difficult. And so when we talk about things like sexual abuse, harassment, other sexual misconduct, um, even infidelity, sexual addiction. Um, there's a lot of different things that other people do, and it's not your fault, but because of the, the sinful world that we live in and the evil that we live in and, and the evil that Satan uses, there's pain and there's hurt that some of you guys have had to experience that, that wasn't your fault. And, uh, and I want to say, man, if you, if you were hurt by someone else's sexual sin, I want to say, man, I'm so sorry for your pain. Um, you know, the Bible say that, says that we carry each other's burdens. And I want this to be a church where we can help carry burdens of other people. I want you to know that your pain matters, that your story matters. And, um, you know, our prayer is that you can find hope, help, and healing, but ultimately, our ultimate prayer is that you would know the healer and his great love for you. He cares for you. The pain that, that you've been through, his anger is deeper than anything you can imagine, but also his care and compassion for you is deeper than you can ever imagine. You have a God that loves you and that sees you and that you can't even comprehend how much he cares for you. And he desires healing in your life. In Psalm 147.3 it says, He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. So this is a topic that's extremely complex. Um, it's, it's not simple at all. Uh, there's no way that we could possibly cover every single layer when it comes to sexual misconduct. But we want to try and talk about some of it. We hope that you can get on a path towards hope, help, and healing. I don't know if you know this, but um, there's actually a story of, of, of sexual abuse in the Bible in uh, 2 Samuel 13, and I'm going to read this. And this is about um, David's family. And, uh, you know, David had very many different wives and different kids with, with different women. And um, we can see the absolute brokenness and just disaster and evil that, that happened from this. It says, now David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin and Amnon thought he could never have her. But Amnon had a very crafty friend, his cousin, Jonadab. He was the son of David's brother, Shemaiah. One day, Jonadab said to Amnon, what's the trouble? 
Why should the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? So Anmon told him, I am in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Well, Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. Go back to bed and pretend you are ill. When your father comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you'll feel better if she prepares it as you watch um, and feed you with her own hands. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. And when the king came to him, Amnon asked him, Please let my sister Tamar come and cook my favorite dish as I watch. Uh, then I can eat it from her own hands. So David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. Then we, we go down to verse 11. It says, But as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, Come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, she cried. Don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please just speak to the king about it, and he will let you marry me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he had loved her. Get out of here, he snarled at her. No, no, Tamar cried. Sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So the servant put her out and locked the door behind her. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was the custom in those days for the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar tore her robe and put ashes on her head. And then with her face in her hands, she went away crying. What we see in this story is Tamar carrying the shame and the pain of being sexually abused. In no way at all was this her fault, anything that she had done wrong. But her brother, her half-brother Amnon had, had raped her, and she's carrying this shame. Today we want to talk some about this, and, and this is a very heavy topic. Um, so we actually are going to go to a video, um, but we wanted somebody that has great knowledge in this and the healing process that comes with this. Um, we, we, in, in our video, Pastor Turner, um, we had him do an interview with a, a guy named Chris Cole. Um, he's a professional counselor and manager of the Emmaus Family Counseling Center in Ashburn, Virginia, and they do some amazing work when it comes to this stuff. Uh, but uh, Pastor Turner asked him some different questions um, pertaining to this, so check this out. Well, good morning, Chris. I'm so glad that you're here with us at Destiny Church this morning to help us in the Let's Get It On series that we've been covering for the past three weeks. And uh, uh, before we get started, I just wanted you to share a little bit about who you are and where you're from for the benefit of anyone who's here this morning that doesn't know you. Sure, sure. Um, thank you for having me. Um, so I work at Emmaus Family Counseling Center. Um, started the practice back in 2004. And I have a number of clinicians working with me there. I'm a licensed professional counselor. And uh, as such, have uh, worked with um, many people um, dealing with healing. Um, and this topic today, we're going to be talking about those who have been uh, sinned against sexually. But uh, we have a, a, a staff there, and um, it's been really good to come alongside people and from a biblical framework and really see the Lord do healing in people's lives through the relationship, through his word, through his spirit. Yeah. And uh, that's what we 
uh, endeavor to do at Emmaus. The first question I wanted to ask you is, is what, would you, what would be steps towards healing for someone who has been violated sexually? I think there's no greater pain that I see when people who have been sinned against sexually um, uh, have to deal with um, the healing process. It's, um, it, it first starts with confession and admitting what happened. And for many people, they keep that pain locked inside. Um, they have a difficult time sharing. Um, but the, the uh, scripture that comes to mind is how if we confess our trespasses, our sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And um, uh, when somebody has been sinned against sexually, getting that out um, is the first step towards really being released from the bondage of that. Uh, what I see in confession is an admission of what happened to me. And for folks who have been violated sexually, they need a safe environment where they can do that uh, and you know where they can begin to release the shame that they may feel. Uh, the fear of facing it is usually um, broken by admission. So uh, what I want to see for people is that they need to take that first step of just admitting what happened. And they need safe people to do that with. Mm. Um, the, the wounds that are created in the context of relationship are healed in relationship. So confession, admitting what happened is just the first step. The second one is to explore the violation and the loss. And I say violation because it's, it's a a wound against my personhood. Um, and so for folks who are dealing with having been sinned against sexually, they need to be able to have that uh, support. Um, they need to be able to talk through and um, explore the depth of that, what it did to their soul. Um, but it's in the context of a supportive environment where they can uh, do that work. And that usually involves a trained therapist. Um, I, I cannot underscore the importance of having people who really understand uh, trauma because it's a trauma response or a trauma reaction oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And the sooner you can work through that, the better. Um, it's also very helpful to have somebody who's a very strong biblical counselor who can help the individual expose the lies that they may be believing about themselves um, uh, and to guide them through the healing process in the context of prayer. Um, I advise people to maybe get healing prayer um, for those deeper wounds. And um, in that environment, that's where uh, some of the release of the shame and, and the healing can be uh, happening. The, the feelings that they have are validated. Um, so that's very important. And then you want to ultimately work towards forgiveness. Um, we don't want to rush to forgiveness. I think that's sometimes one of the... Um, uh, 
things people do is they just want to forgive right away. And it's more of just a way to get past doing the hard work of admitting what happened to me. Um, and so I do know that we need to work through forgiveness because forgiveness releases that um, uh, tie to the person who violated you. And you have the power to break it. The individual who's been sinned against has the power to break it through forgiveness. And it's not admitting that what that person did to them is um, they're off the hook or that they're, um, uh, uh, you know, not responsible for what they did, but it helps the individual uh, release that um, connection. Awesome. So yeah. um, another aspect of forgiveness is for many people who've been sinned against, they um, uh, might have self-hatred that is a result of that. And they might believe lies like, I brought this on, I did this to myself, or they could um, just have, uh, just because of shame, um, a lot of self-loathing going on. And many people who've been violated sexually in turn go out and behave in manners that um, uh, wound them even more. Mm -hmm. So they might develop addictions they, as a way of coping with the pain. They may sexually act out themselves as a way of dealing with it because they feel like I'm so damaged, I can't um, find anybody who would really want me. So there's an awful lot of layers to this that the individual needs to deal with and you need to deal with it in the context of a good therapeutic relationship. And I also want to underscore the power of a group because being in a, being in a community, a, a small group that's committed to confidentiality and safety with a, a, a good trained therapist or a good person, a good lay person who really has done the work in this area, it can be very, very supportive. As a matter of fact, I, I think groups are probably one of the best ways people find healing. Yeah. Um, so confession admitting what happened, explore the violation, and do the grief work that comes with it, the loss, forgiveness of the person who sinned against you. And then finally, um, uh, I think uh, set, learning to set healthy boundaries and surround yourself with healthy people in your life. Many people who've been violated, that's such a crossing of boundaries mm. um, in terms of their personhood. And so what and, and the work of healing and restoration and recovery, there's a learning of what is healthy boundaries. And forgiveness also involves maybe that family system. You know, many people that I work with that are um, dealing with sexual addiction have significant wounding in their own lives from their childhood. And so there's a great deal of um, healthy boundaries that need to be set. And in the case where... Um, Maybe the person who sinned against me is my spouse, such as in the case of adultery or um, my spouse having a sexual addiction and, and you're married to this person and you feel but the betrayal and, and all of that pain and the broken bond of, of the covenant that you thought was there. Uh, you know, requiring your partner to get into therapy and, and get into support and 
and get their own freedom while you do your work allows that marriage chance to maybe heal and really, um, through the power of God, have even a better relationship than before. So I love that, you know, bring, confessing it, bringing it out into the light as the first step. But as a counselor, working with people in this condition, what would you say is the most common obstacle for someone moving towards healing and recovery? Well, I, I think, um, you know, obviously facing the darkness in our own soul, facing the, the woundedness of our own soul can be a pretty terrifying event. And so right there, a lot of people just keep it inside. They keep locked up inside. Um, you see in Psalm 32 where David said, as long as I kept my, you know, junk inside, um, you know, I wasn't making any progress. And so, you know, the whole idea is to um, overcome denial, overcome rationalizations, overcome minimizing what happened to me. Um, shame is such a limiting factor. Shame says you're a bad person. You're damaged goods. You're never going to amount to anything good. Nobody's going to want you knowing that. And, and shame um, is really a binding um, ploy of the enemy. Mm. Um, and, and another reason that people sometimes are afraid to work through this stuff is being that if I talk about it, I get re-traumatized. And, um, and in fact, we know today uh, with so much uh, PTSD that uh, the, the healing path is to talk through what went on so how does a person practically walk, you know, in healing in their own life after they, you know, accept these things and begin to get down that path where they're working towards recovery? Right, right. And, and part of that is about um, learning to care for yourself. Um, Self-care, learning to understand how God sees me, learning to know that... Um, I don't need to let the past define me. Hmm. It's Christ who defines me, orienting my whole life um, towards him and understanding that in him I am whole and complete and bringing all of my emotions and my soul and my spirit in alignment with him gives me the opportunity to really... Um, uh, move into a healing place. We're going to go back to our passage that we uh, were reading about earlier. But when uh, Tamar was, was violated, uh, we see a couple different responses. One being from Absalom, her, her brother. Another being from David, her father. And uh, it says this, Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, Is it true that Amnon uh, has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now, since he's your brother. Don't you worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. So we see this is the first response that, that Absalom thinks is, is the way to go, is just, just be quiet. Just don't talk about it. Don't just basically kind of, let's act like it never happened. Let's uh, not talk about it. And then it says that she lived desolate. So it was silence and, and isolation. And... Um, you know, the, the, the church a lot of times doesn't really talk about things like this. 
But what we see is in the world with, you know, the, you know just the, the secular world with the Me Too movement and, and different things, we see people are talking about it, and rightfully so. Uh, these are extremely important to where, where people can talk about it. And, um, and then, uh, so, so Absalom says, hey, let's just be quiet about it. Don't, don't talk about it. But also, like, live in isolation. And, and what we just saw with Chris is, is the opposite of that. There is healing that comes when you can confess and say, hey, this may not have been my sin, but this is a sin that happened to me. And this really hurt. I'm carrying this pain. So to talk about it and then also to live in community, the importance of that. Satan is going to lie to you and, and, and will say, no one's going to love you. Nobody wants to be around you. And these are lies. You're made for community. David's response um, the sad thing was, was he was angry. Um, it says, when David heard that what had happened, he was very angry. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. So that's all it says about David was that he was very angry. Um, we don't really see a whole lot of, of proof of David really acting and doing anything. No punishment, no... Um, sort of action from, from David's standpoint. Um, Absalom, uh, the David's son and, and brother to, to Tamar, uh, got so angry, about two years later, he, he had Amnon hunted down and, and had him killed. And there was just this frustration, I think, this pain, this, this anger of David being the father and not really doing anything about it. And you know, churches and religious organizations historically have have really messed up when it comes to the handling of, of sexual sin, of, of sexual abuse and harassment and misconduct. Um, you know, with the, the Me Too, you know, hashtag, unfortunately, there's one called Church Too, where people have stories of, of church leaders who had hurt them and abused them. Man, what a travesty that the very place where you're supposed to find healing and find God, you, you find this abuse and this pain and and. And, um, you know, the church uh, and religious organizations uh, a lot of times have not handled it very well. Um, you, know, re you know, we've seen in the news recently where there's churches of all different denominations that have handled these things incorrectly. And the sad thing is that the victims are left in the shadows. They're desolate like Tamar, sitting in shame thinking, does anybody care about me? Does anybody love me? Does anybody think that what happened to me was wrong? And, um, you know, if the church can't be a place of healing for victims, what hope do we have? Let's be a church that, that is the, the love of Jesus personified, the care and the compassion. And, um, you know, we're going to go back to, to Chris and see his advice on, you know, some of us, we have not been abused, but... But how do we act? How do we love? How do we be the church and respond correctly when it comes to loved ones that we have that have been wounded? So go ahead and check this out. If we're going to switch gears now, going from the person who's been wounded to now someone who's in the life of someone who has been wounded, they're not necessarily the offender, but they're, yeah. they love and care for this person. And maybe it's a, a, it's a relative or a friend or a spouse. What's a healthy way that if someone is in your life who's been wounded, that you can come alongside them and help them along in that journey? 
Yeah. And, and, and that means that um, you need to be a, ca a compassionate, uh, caring uh, person who just cares for them. Um, th there's a lot that goes through my mind about that. One of the things is that you're not called to cure that person. Uh, we're just called to care. Uh, Christ is the caregiver, um, not me. I am just going to walk alongside somebody. Do to one another's with uh, each other. Accept one another. Pray for one another. Encourage them. Mm. Encourage them to get the help. Just be there as a, a, a compassionate person, reminding them of the truth. You know, we're to speak truth to one another in love. Mm. I love what you said. It, we're not called to cure that person. We're called to care for right. that person. And that's a powerful right. statement. Now, switching gears yet again, uh, obviously this is a, a little bit more of a challenging um, question that I have for you because of mm -hmm. in our current day events, what's happening right now, in particular right. with the exposure of all of these violations in the Catholic Church. Um, in your experience dealing with people in recovery, what are some healthy ways that the church and unhealthy ways that the church has stepped well and misstepped in this area? Yeah, that's a, that's a real tragedy um, with what's gone on in the Catholic Church. And, um, and I have a great respect for, um, you know, many who go into ministry are good people. Um, and you hate to see an organization uh, maligned um, because of the sin of others uh, that use their power and position to be predatory and prey on uh, those who give them their trust. I, I think uh, how the Lord is grieved by that, and in some ways I think the Lord is shaking the church um, because judgment begins in the household of God, mm. so the word says. And... Um, so I believe in an organization, um, how important accountability is, how important good procedures are in place to um, protect the uh, people um, that come to that, especially in a Christian or religious organization, protect the parishioners and the people that come in with a trusting attitude. Mm. We need to see healthy boundaries and good processes to ensure safety of the people that come. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The workplace needs to be a safe place. There's too much sexual harassment going on, too much, um, you know, of that happening. And, and, you know, I love the scripture, and I believe it's in Psalm 101, where he talks about, I will walk in the integrity of my heart. You know, and I think what a wonderful thing to be a man or a woman who walks in integrity, who safeguards yourself, um, yeah. who, who is above reproach. And, um, and that's what we want to see take place in um, organizations. And I think covering up things um, is, is problematic. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that is really a, a violation of trust that goes on. So as a person that may be sitting in the congregation this morning, their life may not be lining up with God's word. They're, they're involved in some sexual sin in, in their life and, um, and they just haven't really come to terms with it. What would you say 
is a, a healthy first step for that individual this morning? Well, I, I believe that uh, opening up our lives and allowing somebody uh, who's a, a safe person, uh, a God-fearing person, to know what's going on in your life. Um, we, we all need a Savior. We all need to come to that place of admitting that I can't make life work in my own ways. Um, and, you know, for many who are involved in um, and dealing with um, the shame of what's happened to me or embarrassment or maybe there's a lot of fear of just letting somebody in, mm -hmm. finding a safe person um, to talk about what's going on. And uh, somebody who isn't going to judge me, but somebody who's going to encourage me to think about the effects of what I'm dealing with and it's, uh, it's uh, on me and what it looks like to really entrust yourself to a Savior who wants to be the healer in your life. Yeah. You know, people have to move. You know, now I'm thinking of those who may be caught up in sexual addiction. Um, you know, for many of them, they have a... a level of despair because they've promised God over and over again that I won't do this. And yet they, they are trapped in the bondage of it. And so um, admitting our need, usually we say that when your pain is greater than your fear, then you're ready to get help. Wow. I, w I just want to end on this. You mentioned in the very first uh, part that we were discussing here, forgiveness as one of those sub points. And, um, and I, I just want you to touch on that again because it's likely that someone is sitting here this morning listening to this and, uh, and they, have, they are carrying a measure of shame or guilt because of their past. And um, I just want to finish extenuating that point of forgiveness. If you could just one more time talk about that and, and, uh, and close us out with that topic again. Yeah, and, and you know, what a, a powerful example of um, one who had to deal with his past and John Newton, mm. uh, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. Mm. Um, you know, slave trader, uh, responsible for the deaths of thousands of uh, beautiful people um, that he went out and captured and brought to England, brought to, you know, in that slave trade. Um, and when he came to Christ, uh, he had to deal with all the the wreckage that he did in his life. And, um, you know, to be able to forgive oneself is probably the, the greatest obstacle um, that somebody has in terms of intimacy with God. That will block your intimacy if you can't forgive yourself. You know, many of us can admit our need for God, which is very important. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, that's blessed are those who admit their need for God. And, and so admitting what has happened in my life is obviously that first step. And allowing somebody like you to come alongside uh, and just put your arm around and weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn, but yet... God has promised, Jesus even began his, 
his ministry in uh, Luke 4, where he said he has come to set the captives free, to pro proclaim good news to the poor. He wants us to move from mourning to joy, to, to experience the healing power of his presence in our life. And so forgiveness and recognizing that, you know, my need um, is to admit my need for God, to ask him to come into my life, to, to accept others into my life who are healthy and can help me walk this road of healing. Um, you know, giving God, God says, I'm going to take away the shame of your youth. You're going to remember the former things that, you know, no more. Um, that to, to get to that place means I'm letting it go. I, I don't have the capacity to forget, but it's about forgiveness takes the power out of it. Mm. And, it's the, and honesty breaks the power of shame because shame will always say hide. Mm. Um, so honesty breaks the power, admitting it to others. You know, if I keep silent inside myself and don't open up with others, um, um, then, then I'm missing part of God's design for healing because his design is his people the word, the spirit coming together. Um, so God wants to lift that and let you know who you truly are in Christ. And that's your identity. When you come into a saving relationship with Christ, um, mm. you know, healing and restoration are the stepping stones. God is bringing wholeness back into your life. Um, it's a journey. And yet that's where the healing is. So, Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah. I appreciate it. All right. God bless you, brother. Thank you. Here at this church, we want so badly for you to be able to find freedom in your life. And uh, like Chris said, so much of that is being able to uh, talk to somebody. Uh, we have a resources page that, that you can find on our website. And on this are a bunch of different resources and and um, I don't know if we have it on there but we'll we'll put some to like Chris Cole's uh, Emmaus Family Counseling and some different resources that you can seek out if you are desiring to, to have some counseling uh, but also I mean he said it um, community is is so important and Satan might be lying to you right now and saying because of your past because of what has happened to you maybe even because of your sexual sin, that you can't have community. You can't, because of the things that you did, um, you, you can't find the friends in the, in the community that God wants you to be in. And, and that it is a lie. God wants you in community. Um, we, we have got a small group fair after church here, and I just want to encourage you to just take that step where I know it's sometimes kind of scary to be around other people and, and to, to dive into those relationships. But man, freedom is on the other side of those relationships. It's so important. Uh, the, you know, I want to encourage our church. Let's be a church that, that cares. Let's be, let be somebody that God would use you to help bring healing to somebody that's going through some of the worst pain that you might not even uh, be able to comprehend. Hebrews 13.3 says this, Remember all those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. 
as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Let's not be a church that just simply just doesn't really listen to people or, or, or care about the healing process of people. Let's be the church. Let's be the hands and feet of Christ. Let's have that care and that compassion and that love for those that are going through pain. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is, is just how the gospel pertains to all of this. I said earlier that there is a healer that truly cares about you. Beth Moore, she actually um, is a victim of abuse. Um, and she said, one of the things you are going to find in the process, the process of healing, is Jesus is healer who becomes so important to you. Not just the healing. So there is a healer that cares for you, that loves you. And I don't know where you are because we all have have sins in our lives. We all have past. We all have hurts. We all have pains. We all have these things that we carry, these burdens that we carry. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was saying, give that all to me. He took the pain of sin. He took, he took the shame. He took the guilt. He took everything and put it on his shoulders. And he wants to be your healer. There's going to be one day where there is no pain and no tears. And Jesus is the one that made that happen. That there will be a day where, where we no longer have to carry any of these burdens. We don't have to carry the sorrow and, and the pain anymore. And it's because of what Jesus did. He died on the cross for you. For your pain, for your sin, for your everything. And so if, if you're in this room, I don't know where you're at, what your story is. But every one of us have things that we've done wrong. And what I want to encourage you is to repent, which means to simply turn away, to say, God, that's not my life anymore. I'm not doing, that's not what I want to do anymore. That's not where I'm finding my fulfillment, finding my love. And I'm turning to you, Jesus, as my healer, as my savior, as my everything. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want you to pray it with me if, if you're wanting to make that decision. And it's not, a, it's not magic words. It's a belief in your heart of, okay, this life, I can't save myself. Jesus, you're the only one that can heal me, that can save me. So if that's you, I just want you to pray this with me. Jesus, thank you so much for how much you love me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. God, today I am turning from all of my sin and all of the things I've tried to do on my own and I've messed up. God, I'm accepting the life that you have for me. I believe you are the only way that I can be saved. Thank you for loving me. I'm so excited to have a relationship with you. God, right now, I also pray for every person in this room. I have no clue what everybody's story is, but Lord, today I pray that they would know that you care for them deeply and you desire for them to find healing and freedom. Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you are a God that, that cares for us, that sees us, that loves us. In your name I pray, amen.